We are uh, approaching Easter Sunday, and today being Palm Sunday, it's an exciting time because, you know, um, Jesus was not, th- this Palm Sunday is, is the best reference for Jesus on earth being treated as Jesus the King. When you think about that, I mean, there are many people who called him Lord and got to know him, and there's, there's thousands added to the numbers, and we can talk about that, but, but truly, that Palm Sunday was the first glimpse we saw of mankind worshiping him in great mass as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Sadly to say, we know how the week turned, but, you know, I've lived in um, small or medium-sized towns or cities uh, all my life, and there's one thing that's very interesting that happens uh, I, in, in every city, but, but there, there's a little more nostalgia to it in the smaller towns, but that's parades. I mean, around here we have Christmas parades. Uh, some of them have New Year's parades. There's, there's a, maybe a Thanksgiving parade, uh, even Halloween, and and those are those are exciting times. I know when Jennifer and I and the kids we go, you're trying to work your way up to that front, that front of the street, right? So you can be the first one there, especially if they're throwing candy, right, kids? I mean, that's that's the sweet spot right there, is to be right up there in front, and. Um, you know, we have fun because sometimes you'll see people you haven't seen in a while. And you stop, you catch up. It's, it's just kind of one of those things in, in the small town setting where people uh, come together just to celebrate and, and to cheer, um, cheer on different things. Um, you know, it, it's a, a neat thing. Uh, if you turn to Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 9, we're going to look at this triumphal entry that Jesus made. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 9. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and they will send them right away. And this... This uh, instance took place to fulfill what was spoken through, through uh, a prophet previously when, when he said, Say to the daughter Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. See, the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. Not an Arabian uh, steed, not... Not a, a great big large animal like an elephant with, with tassels and everything on, but, but a donkey. But then a, a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. Again, these parades, you know, we, we, this is a different situation, a different time, a, a different culture, but yet you can kind of, uh, from your experience in the parade, you can imagine what it's like. Everyone's out there, all these faces in the crowd, all these people lining up. <coughs> they're, they're adorning the streets with the branches and the cloaks. It'd be much like how we, the confetti that we throw or the streamers or those things that we, we do at parades. This is a big pomp and circumstance for, uh, for Jesus. And 
Can you imagine Jesus on Palm Sunday? The town was teeming with people from all over the world that had come to the holy city to celebrate the Passover. And all the passionate and dedicated Jews would have been there. It would be like being in Washington, D.C., if you can imagine, on the 4th of July, right? I'm sure they'd do it up big in Washington, D.C. for a parade for the 4th of July. Or maybe New York City on Times Square for, for uh, New Year's when the ball's going to drop and all the people are, are gathered and the crowd, I can imagine the noise and all the hustle and bustle. Jerusalem was inundated with visitors. And as Jesus slowly rode down the hill into Jerusalem, there were people from all over the world who had come to celebrate God's deliverance of the Jews from Egypt. It represented to them freedom from slavery. So very much so, again, we can point back to like 4th of July celebrations. You know, we're celebrating our independence. And you know, there's kids that, that don't quite understand that significance, just like our 4th of July. Those who fought in wars and survived and saw their brothers uh, and sisters killed in, in war can, can identify a little more. I'm sure there's a lot more excitement, a lot more patriotism, but, but this is really a celebration of independence from slavery and God's special love for them and also the promise of future blessings because this is a nation who knows that they have a future. There must have been thousands to share in the Passover celebration, and now they're sharing in the coronation of their king. Only a king comes in the manner in which Jesus did. And Jesus let himself be received in this way as a king, and the people shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. And you know, I, I guess they kind of overlooked the fact they chose a donkey. They, they were so excited, they put the palm branches down, they're putting the coats, but, but you know, uh, apparently that didn't slow them down when they saw the donkey. Hosanna in the Hebrew would be translated as saves. So the people were literally recognizing Jesus as their savior. They were recognizing him as their king. They were recognizing him as the Messiah, the son of David. Now we know that this plays directly into what happens in the next week. But, but again, for a moment, just a moment, Mankind is worshiping him as the king of kings, as a savior, in unison all together. This wasn't a church service. This wasn't a gathering of just the saints. This, this was a mass crowd of people who had, had heard of Jesus, who had experienced a relationship with Jesus, who had seen his mighty works, who had heard what he is foretold to be. It must have been a glorious time of celebration. Can you imagine the religious leaders seeing this? Can you imagine what they were thinking? I mean, think about this. Let's move this setting to our current day time in Washington, D.C. And right now, this is a little harder because we're in election time, but let's just imagine we're just after elections, no, no elections on the near uh, new future, and all of a sudden a crowd is amassing in the streets of Washington, D.C. All of a sudden, thousands and thousands and thousands, and they're cheering and, and throwing confetti and streamers. And here's some guy coming into town that, that, that not all the, the leaders in Washington really know. They know that this person is out there, but they don't know much about him. And he's coming in, and they're, they're shouting, this is our new ruler. This is the, the one who is going to save us from our current government. Now, can you imagine Secret Service coming out there, the FBI? They're, they're all out there trying to figure out, who is this guy, right? 
And how dare they be shouting, he's going to be the new leader. I mean, is this a coup? Are they, are they getting ready to try to overthrow the government? This, this guy drawing all these shouts and praises. And these shouts that resonate as though an overthrow of leadership is imminent. And imagine as Jesus' eyes swept over the crowd that many, uh, that, that many were strangers. At least they were, he might have been a stranger to them, but they were no stranger to Jesus. And I'm sure he had the ability to know each one's heart. So if you can imagine, there's many people that they're jumping in on it. They, they hear about Jesus. They don't really know everything about it, but they see the excitement. They're hearing these people shout that he's going to be their savior. And so they're joining in. But Jesus, as he looks across the crowd, he knows every face. He knows every heart. Many of them never seen him before, but some he did know. Some he knew very well, and some he had received his, some had received his touch and were never the same again. I want to take a little bit closer look at some faces in the crowd, at just four of them that Jesus saw on Palm Sunday, and maybe we can see some of them in ourselves. Um, one familiar face Jesus saw was Mary Magdalene. Do you remember her? In Luke 8, we learn that Mary Magdalene was one of a, a group of women in Galilee who financially provided for Jesus and his disciples. We also read that in the past, Jesus had freed her from seven demons. This was a lady who was truly touched by Jesus. She was in bondage, seven demons, and she was freed. Early church history identifies her as a sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair in Simon the Pharisee's home. And it says that she was a prostitute when she had the seven demons, that she was a prostitute. She was literally eternally grateful to Jesus. Scripture says she's not only helped Jesus financially, but she was the first one to see him alive after the resurrection. There's a special place in Jesus' heart for Mary Magdalene. And that was one of the faces he would have seen. Mary's a fascinating person. Some people have claimed in the past that she wrote, the, uh, wrote a gospel, the gospel according to Mary Magdalene, and I can't, can't put any credibility to that because, first of all, they claim to have found it oh, just a little over 100 years ago. Um, it was never mentioned by any of the early church leaders or even discussed when they were putting together the canon of Scripture. And, and secondly, Mary was probably illiterate. You've got to keep in mind at this day and time, women, I hate to say this, but were considered little, little better than dogs. They weren't taught. They weren't allowed to learn. They weren't, really didn't have much other place in society other than to, to be at the home and, and uh, to only speak when spoken to. And in Jesus' day, a woman, uh, a woman uh, such as her who had been a prostitute definitely would not have been learned or been able to write or anything of that nature. But she was an example of a life changed by Jesus. She was an example of what the touch of Jesus could do from sinner to saint, from child of hell to child of heaven, from totally depraved to totally devote. Mary is in a, a remarkable example of what God can do in life. Many of us have our own story. Maybe we, we've had a rough past or we've had a rough background. But, but this, as Jesus is looking through the crowd, he knows everybody's background. But Mary Magdalene would have stood out because he personally interacted with her. 
And just like these days, I'm sure many of them who had heard the gospel and, and maybe didn't come to believe but begin to talk about it, there is probably uh, different versions of the gospel given, false doctrines, maybe even some of the, the, the cheap gospel that is preached where, where uh, grace with no repentance and no change but we're not the same when Jesus comes into our heart. Mary Magdalene didn't stay the same when Jesus came into her life. And we have to know that if, if we're going to, to see people's lives change, they have to meet Jesus, not just church. They have to meet Jesus, not your pastor. While we are led into worship, it's not the worship, but it's who we're worshiping. That changes their life. Mary, I believe, was thrilled to have a part in Jesus' ministry and mission. And, and Mary was thrilled to use her money to support Jesus' ministry. When Jesus was praised, I believe she was one of the best worshipers. When Jesus was crucified, she was one of the ones that was most crushed. She was there at the foot of the cross. She, while it was dark, it says, went into the graveyard to mourn for Jesus. Her love for him cast out all fear. Going into the graveyard late at night or in the dark. With, guarded with soldiers. Love changes a person. I mean, you think about, have any of you ever been in love? You know, when we're in love, um, there's this feeling of new beginnings. All of a sudden there's this euphoria that all your problems and troubles before, it's kind of you can overlook them, put them off the side because you've got this new relationship this prospect of new beginnings, excited about the future. And when we fall in love with Jesus, it should be the same thing, that, that Jesus has changed our lives, that we have fallen in love with him and, and the prospect of our, of our newfound hope and faith has changed us. We have to ask ourselves, is he still changing us? If, if we allow him to, he will and does your love for him affect your pocketbook? Does your love for him affect your, your boldness? Is it changing you from sinner into saint? Are you allowing Jesus to change you into something more like him? Mary Magdalene may have been just a face in the crowd to some, but she is much more. And you are much more than a face in the crowd. Jesus sees you and knows you just as he knew Mary. Another face in the crowd was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was an interesting face in the crowd because he um, came to Jesus at night to talk to Jesus. He was a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin. He is one of uh, Jesus that Jesus spoke John 3.16 to. He is the one that Jesus was speaking to when he said, you must be born again. Nicodemus is someone who is shining through in a group of religious leaders who are opposing Jesus. And the scripture records Nicodemus three times. Once was here in this scripture, another time when Jesus was being tried in that, that kangaroo court, and he pointed out it was unlawful. Nicodemus, in a sense, was defending Jesus at the very onset. And the third time was when he helped Joseph of Arimathea prepare Jesus' body for, for burial. So this is, this is a guy who, who is standing against all odds. I mean, there are, there are two groups of people here, people who are following Jesus and people that are opposing him. And he, by his position of authority and his position, should be on the other side, opposing Jesus. 
But I think Jesus smiled when he saw Nicodemus. I think he loved Nicodemus. Nicodemus didn't have Mary's courage, but I think he was born again, and he tried to defend Jesus. He provided the expensive spices, the things necessary to bury Jesus. You start to see a theme here with Mary Magdalene and Nicodemus that there's something about pouring out our, our blessings to the Lord, about, about sacrificial giving, about being extravagant in our love to God. He and Joseph lovingly and gently washed Jesus and wrapped the, the perfume, spice, and linen around his body. The way Jesus died as a common criminal, his body wouldn't normally have been put through that. It would have just been dumped. Anyone that hung on a cross as a thief or a murderer or, or a criminal would have just been treated like trash. I'm sure that Nicodemus knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was dead. What a life-changing thing the resurrection of Jesus must have been to him. What a joy must have flooded his soul. I mean, this is the risk taker. He's among the guys who are opposing Jesus. He's, he's up there in that kind of authority, but yet he took the chance. He knew in his heart something was different about Jesus. And when he rose again, can you imagine while the other guys are saying, who stole the body? What happened? Nicodemus is probably off in the corner just grinning, saying, I knew it. I knew it. But here in the crowd, I imagine he was keeping it kind of cool. He was, after all, a Pharisee. He was, after all, an important politician figure. Nevertheless, I have no doubt he was in that crowd giving Jesus praise. Maybe silently, maybe in his heart, but I assure you, he was watching closely. We have to ask ourselves like Nicodemus, are we giving Jesus praise at home, in the workplace, among unbelievers? Are, are we letting our position of authority or our stature or our pride keep us from worshiping Jesus and praising him? Are we standing up for Jesus when others are opposing him? Are we like Nicodemus, working behind the scenes, supporting Jesus sacrificially, even if no one sees, especially when no one sees? And no one knows we need to be doing his work. One of the things that we teach our kids about accountability and about um, integrity is it's more important when nobody sees what you're doing. It's actually more blessed when no one knows what you're doing, but you're working for the Lord. Another face in the crowd was Zacchaeus. Remember him? This is one of the fun stories. I mean, this is one of the ones you, you hear in, in Sunday school, right? He lived in Jericho. He was an important, wealthy person in town. We remember him as being short, but he was a chief tax collector and had a lot of money. And usually in his profession, and maybe because of his stature too, um, he had to make extra effort to be dignified. But he was, always, he was also so excited that Jesus had come to town that he ran ahead of the crowd and climbed up in the tree to see him. And Jesus, when he saw him, called down and invited himself to Zacchaeus' home for dinner. Zacchaeus didn't know it, but he had a divine appointment with the Savior. I wonder what they talked about, and whatever it was, it changed Zacchaeus' life, so I'm sure it was monumental. But the Bible says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. 
For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Find that in Luke 19, verses 8 through 10. So can you see through each one of these, as we're moving through these faces, how Jesus changes a life? And being short, I imagine Zacchaeus had to go through a lot of teasing growing up. I imagine his wealth and possessions were pretty important to him, but Jesus was more important. He was giving up everything. He was sacrificing all. He was putting it in total trust in Jesus. But we have to notice that only after Zacchaeus let go of the purse strings, after he loosened up his tight fist for Jesus to work on his heart, only then did salvation come. Each one of these faces, each one of these stories that we talk about, we can see portions maybe of ourselves in that. So how about us? Are we like Zacchaeus? Is money really important to who you are? Is the love of wealth preventing you from blessing the blessings of God? I have known time and time again when that's one of the the downfalls for a believer is when the money or, or the possessions become so important that they can't be humbled before the Lord. They can't turn loose of their possessions, and so there is a roadblock between them and a full, vibrant relationship with the Lord. We have to depend on the master, not the money. Money's a tool. Kind of one of the big debates now, gun control, and you'll see the things, you know, guns don't kill people, evil people kill people. But really there's truth to, some, there's truth to that in the fact that money's the same way. Guns or money in the hands of an evil man is a, a potential for great harm, but guns or money in, in a good person, uh, with a good person, will be used for good. If our law enforcement wasn't equipped with guns, we'd be in a lot of trouble. There's one more face in the crowd I see. He's kind of hard to see because he's just a little guy. Again, one of my favorites, though. He's the only one carrying lunch. And he must have a loving mom to make sure he won't go hungry. I remember my mom, when I was younger than the boys, I think, or about their age, we had a little sub shop in the little town we lived in, and all the other kids were eating their little uh, Cheetos and a little wedge-shaped sandwich, and I had a foot-long hoagie. (laughs) And my teachers would even go by and get other teachers to come look and show them that I was actually going to eat the whole thing. And... One thing for sure, I, I guarantee you, none of my teachers questioned my mom's love for me. But if we were to read Matthew chapter 14, verses 15 through 20, this little guy, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fishes, they answered. Bring them to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 baskets, uh, basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. In John's account of this story, he says Andrew was the one who brought the little boy and his lunch to Jesus. I love this story. Can you imagine being a little boy? Where are you going with my lunch? (laughs) What do you you mean, come over here with my lunch? Look at all those people. He's probably, his tummy's growling. He's thinking, my mama gave me this. 
This story not, is not only a story of God's power, but of God's love. It's not only about a little boy with a lunch, but it's about a little boy who trusted. The little boy trusted Jesus to provide him with lunch. He gave all, it all to Jesus. That's huge. It's huge that Jesus can take just a little bit and multiply it as something overwhelming. I guarantee you if Jesus came down from heaven and asked for my foot-long hoagie when I was at the age mom was bringing those to me, I probably would have I probably would have argued with Jesus a little. My faith might not have been so strong. But in this story, there's a key to the blessing that comes. Andrew says, we only have five loaves and two fish. And there's a lot of doubt in this statement, but Jesus says, bring them here to me. This wasn't so much about feeding them the food, the physical food, but the spiritual food of faith, of trust, of believing I will take the little you have and make it a lot. And many of us, many of us look at ourselves that way all the time, that doubt. <clears throat> Lord, I hear pastor talking about a ministry and I'm just, I just don't think I'm equipped for that. I just don't think I can do that. I can't speak or I can't talk to people. I'm shy, I'm whatever. You can go down the list. But this story shows a little boy with just a little bit of food who is willing to give it up all, give it all to Christ can be used to meet the needs of thousands. Don't you think Jesus could have just made food appear? If he can do what he did with, the, with those loaves? Don't you think he could have just made food appear? And, and maybe at least he could have walked over and got them for himself instead of scaring the little boy, taking his lunch, right? But the key is that the act of faith of bringing something to Jesus, what, what is that you need to bring to Jesus? That's what we should be asking ourselves. What little act of faith is Jesus asking of you? It might be your finances. It might be your health. It may be unsaved loved ones. But there is a miracle out there with your name on it. We have to trust God. We have to trust Jesus. He loves us. He loves you. And he'll come through for you. Ken, will you come to the piano? This hits me hard in, in the same spot. I'm about to go for some medical tests, and, and I just tell you my cynicism because of failed attempts before. I, I want to say, you know what, I'm going to go for the test, but they're again going to tell me there's nothing they can do. And I have to stop myself and say, do I believe God's word or not? Am I putting my trust in doctors and these tests, or am I putting my trust in God? Whether he wants to miraculously heal me without any help of any doctors, or whether he wants to do it through the doctors. Do I fully bring those things to him and put them in his hands and truly trust him? I've told you the stories time and time again about Jennifer and I with whether the sale of our house or something else we need, that if we ever will stop ourselves and truly, sincerely pray, God, I'm putting it in your hands. I trust you with it all. He answers in a way that is better than we ever imagined every time. You know, we've talked about different faces in the crowd and whether these were faces in the crowd at the time Jesus made his triumphal entry or, or whether it was um, faces that he knew that were there. Every story, I imagine, as he looked through the crowd, there was many of them. There's many of them that Scripture doesn't account for. But each one is someone special to Jesus. Each one had a story. Each one was loved and cherished by the Savior. And you're not just a face in the crowd either. While we don't physically see Jesus here this morning, I know his spirit's here. I felt him in worship. I felt him through our time together. 
No matter whether I'm tired, sleepy, grumpy, whatever it is, I know he's always there. He's not dependent on my moods or my situation. I'm dependent on his steadfastness. His never leave me, never forsake me. To Jesus, you have a name. To Jesus, you have a future. And to Jesus, you are a work in process. So why not bring what little you have, what little you are, and give it to Jesus? This Palm Sunday, it's kind of uh, uh, interesting to think that with the elections and everything going on, that we're we're at election time during this, this time of celebrating this triumphal entry of Jesus. Because a lot of people's hopes are being crushed right now. There's some that are excited about who the candidates will be. And even a lot of believers who are really putting a lot riding on this election that maybe somehow, some way, God will turn this nation around through those leaders. If that's you, brother, sister, I'm telling you, you're going to be disappointed. Not because I don't think God can use them, but because that's not where my hope and faith is. My prayer is not God give me give me a a godly leader but God forgive this nation for our sins I I repent and Lord save this nation it's not dependent on that guy in the office it's dependent on the people of God praying and crying out for their nation do you think the children of Israel need to pray that Pharaoh would become a believer Maybe they, they did, but they didn't need that because God's plan was never for them to have Pharaoh as their leader. And let me tell you something. As the New Testament church who is looking at the end times, our government is not who God desires to be our leader. He wants to be our leader. He wants his kingdom come. His will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So instead of putting our hope and our faith and trust in the processes and the legal and the legal process in the government of our nation. Let's put all of our hope and trust in Jesus. He can take a little and do a lot. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Jesus, thank you for loving me, for loving all of us. Thank you that you don't consider me just another face in the crowd. And thank you for knowing me as I am and still loving me. Please forgive me for not having the faith in you I should have had. Forgive me for not trusting you. And right now I give myself to you completely holy with no reservation. I give my all right now and help me, Lord, to trust you and walk with you from this day on. While everyone is still in a a time of prayer and, and with your heads bowed, eyes closed, if there's someone here that you not put your faith and trust in the Lord you've either wandered off from him or you never began a relationship with him he wants to change your life like Mary Magdalene maybe your story is not as as intense as hers but but you're not just a face in the crowd Jesus loves you and he wants to change your life if that's you and I just want to pray for you just raise your hand I want to pray for you Lord, we just thank you that everyone here has indicated, Lord, from not raising their hands, that they are, they are um, in right spirit with you. God, 
that they are ready for eternity. They are ready to spend eternity with you. And Lord, I just thank you for this beautiful Palm Sunday. Lord, as chilly as it might have been getting up, we're, Lord, we're thankful for the sunshine and, the, and a, a chance today, Lord, to lead someone to Christ. And we just thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.